Welcome to Why Gifts Matter from the Core Gift Institute, a series of conversations spanning helping professions, spiritual traditions, and community encouragers who believe that knowing your gifts and giving them is an essential part of living a full life and creating healthy communities. Find out more about us at www.coregift.org. Well, hello, this is Bruce Anderson from the Core Gift Institute. So excited today to talk with Michelle Holliday. I had been looking for her for several years and didn't realize that I was looking for her. I've gotten frustrated in the last few years. Um, I work a lot in the field of human development with the idea of gifts and a lot in the field of organizational development, which um, I'm trying to make a contribution of helping employers uh, tap the gifts and, and the beyond the surface abilities of the people who work for them. And in both fields, human development and in organizational development, people have been talking more and more that um, organizations behave like natural systems and humans behave like natural systems. And it's frustrated me uh, because I don't think they behave like natural systems. I think humans are natural systems and organizations are natural systems. A good friend of mine, a wise man, Charles Hopkins, in the state of Georgia was for part of his work life an administrator in a large uh, system that provided funding to local organizations to support individuals with developmental disabilities. And he was touring a, a new home, a new home where a group of adults with disabilities lived. And the, the director of the home was giving Charles a tour and showing him all the different rooms. And at one point she looked at him and said, isn't it home-like? And Charles immediately thought, ma'am, if it's home-like, it's not home. And that's the distinction I think we're working towards in this world we're living in now, which is in so much trouble, is we have to stop saying that organizations and individuals behave like nature. We have to start seeing them as a part of nature. And Michelle Holliday is the first person that I ran into who was able to talk succinctly about that and convincingly about that. And it really changed my vantage point in thinking about how natural systems work. It turns out when you think about it, um, a bee and the group of bees in a, in a colony that don't act much differently than humans in some very basic ways. Let's get on with it and talk with Michelle about gifts and organizations and thriving. All right, so Michelle, good morning or good afternoon where you are, I guess. That's Why don't you right. tell, yeah, tell people where you are just so they have an idea where you are in the world. All right, I'm in Montreal in Quebec in Canada, middle of winter, super cold day today, but, but bright and sunny. How cold? Well, in Celsius, it was minus 25. This morning feels like minus 30. I think at that temperature, it's the same in Fahrenheit also. minus. Yeah, I think it gets closer as it gets colder, doesn't it? Right, right. Now you've yeah. tapped the limit of my weather knowledge. Right there. That's it. 
That's it. Yeah. And have you been in, have you been in Quebec for a while? I've lived here for about 17 years. Um, I'm originally from the United States, but I've lived all over the world, um, all over the place. Hmm. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I'm wondering, um, I, I like to start before we get into what we're the meat of what we're going to talk about. Um, I know you're a person who likes centering activities and um, for people mm -hmm. to get kind of aligned with who they really are. So I'm wondering if you would uh, just take a minute and uh, close your eyes if you're comfortable doing that and take a few breaths and think of the first two words that come to your mind when I say the word gifts. And when you're ready, tell me what those words are. Mm -hmm. the, the words came so quickly <laughs> and I was surprised at them. The first was talents and then life. And I'm surprised at talents because I think that's a relatively small way of understanding gifts, but I think it's a very common one. It's, it's maybe mm -hmm. the, the word that would first come to mind for, for many people. And mm -hmm. what excites me about conversations with you is, is digging much deeper than that and going broader out to the expanse of life and, and the gift that it is to be alive and to align with life and um, to be in participation with life's generous generative process processes so it's sort of the spectrum i guess the the two words that popped into my mind a very concrete and uh, almost tactical way of understanding gift um, mm -hmm. from a personal level and then um, at the other end of the spectrum a, a pretty expansive way of thinking about that word well, that's fascinating. I appreciate that. I've heard a lot of interesting words over the last few years when I ask people to do that. It's mm -hmm. a it's kind of window into how they think about gifts. So I um, want to let people know that that the way that I found out about you was um, out of a many year frustration that I've had. A lot of the work that I do is um, in the context of what people would call organizational development. And you know, there's a, new, there's a new recipe every year, probably 50 new recipes a year for how to change culture and how to do organizational development. And what I, what I got increasingly troubled by was the limiting way that people thought about culture. And when I say limiting, I mean, culture change is always thought of even today as within the context of a group or a company or a community. Um, and it, it was dealt with in, in a way that was separated from everything else. The closest thing that I've come that I came to that I began to get excited about was reinventing organizations and the teal mm -hmm. idea. And what I loved about teal still love about Teal is that it has two fundamental principles. One is that employees are seen as whole people and bringing your whole self to work. And the second part of 
teal that I liked is, is this idea that an organization should live out its calling and its um, essential purpose. Um, and of course, I liked that because that's, that's getting around the edges of this idea of gifts and thinking about an organization as bringing gifts as different from the mission and the strategies and the plans and all of that. But, but it, it continued to be frustrating to me as I got, I got more and more aware of just how much trouble the earth and the world is in and, and how disconnected organizational development is from natural systems. Mm-hmm. And one day I was Googling um, nature and organizations, trying to find some connection. And there on my screen was Michelle Holiday talking about thriving. Mm-hmm. And a little slide came up on the screen that had, you were doing a talk somewhere and it had a bee on it. And then there was a colony of bees. And, and it was the first time that, and still the only um, um you're the only person I know that has made a solid connection between natural systems and organizations. And I I don't think the planet's going to survive unless we're able to do more of that. Mm -hmm. And so um, you are, uh, I just saw a friend of mine, Michael Mead posted a little, you know, he posts a quote a day on social media and uh, he posted a William Blake quote. And it was, you know, a couple hours before I knew I was going to talk to you. And the quote, the quote was, um, in the universe, there are things that are known and things that are unknown. And in between, there's doors. A William Blake quote. Mm -hmm. And to me, you represent that door um, as the kind of threshold between thinking about natural systems and organizational development. And I think you're just bringing this piece that is really essential. And sometimes I get into a new idea and a year later, it doesn't seem quite so important to me, mm-hmm. but this thing that I believe you're bringing um, in me has an increasing urgency in it. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't been able to kind of shuffle it off to the side and move on to the next glittery thing. Mm-hmm. So, cool. so I'm wondering if you can, it's hard without a picture. That's what I understood, you know, this model, this recipe that's so, so much mm-hmm. about of thriving. I saw the picture of the bees and the single bees and being bees in groups. And it was, I could understand it, but I'm wondering if in a simple way you can describe this four part uh, model that you have in a way that mm-hmm. people could understand it without a picture to look at. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. Well, first, let me say thank you for sharing that, that journey of discovering my work and reaching out. And, and I'm so pleased to hear that it continues to resonate and, and grow more so. And there are other people who make the connection, of course, between nature and organizations, nature's patterns, but not nearly enough. We're still a pretty small group and getting more and more connected. And that's that's exciting. Um, so... I've been at this for about 25 years, uh, really dedicated to this uh, worldview of alignment with life for for 20. Uh, I started writing my book in 2002. That's how I know that it's 20 years. Um, And 
it started with a sabbatical in Paris. Long story, it was wonderful to, to be in Paris following my curiosity and, and trying to figure out how did we get a story in the world that tells us everything operates like a machine, especially our organizations and economies, but even us and our communities. And that the only thing that matters is productivity and profitability and we exist to compete and consume. You know, that story is so ingrained in us that we don't even realize that it's just a story. But my sense was there's gotta be more. There's gotta be more to that story. And I think it has something to do with life and aliveness and the human spirit and, and gift ultimately. So I, I spent a year and a half studying biology and also a whole range of other disciplines, truly following my curiosity to see uh, what does it mean for something to be alive? What does it mean and, and what does it take for something that's alive to thrive? And, and what could we learn from that? How could we bring that into our work in communities and organizations? So I found that there are these four uh, patterns or characteristics or, or fertile conditions that have to be cultivated in any living system if it is to thrive, including us and our organizations. And I started thinking of those as life's universal design principles. This is how life designs itself wherever we find life. And, and we can work with those as well. So uh, the first is that every living system has diverse parts. And we know that from biodiversity, that the more the more diversity, the more likely the living system is to be resilient and adaptive and creative, right? So that's the first thing we have to cultivate within our organizations. And, and we've recognized that already. The second design principle is that the parts are connected and supported in patterns and structures of relationship. So maybe this is uh, how we connect with each other. Is it over Zoom? and We've, we've agreed what we're going to talk about, and we maybe have processes of, of making stuff and contracts and, and infrastructure that holds and supports us in our organizations, desks and, and buildings. And um, so everything that, that connects us and supports us and sharing information and making decisions and, and getting things done. The third thing, the third design principle is that the parts are connected in relationship in a way that enables the emergence of a new whole, a new emergent level of life. So that is the organization and its culture. And, and, and this, is, this is where we can find the magic of the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. That's, that's the magic that we're after in our organizations and in our communities, that we're capable of more, of, of taking on more complexity than we would be alone. And then finally, um, what powers that magic and what enables that whole uh, process to happen is life. It's whatever spark it is that animates us and makes us alive. Any, any living system is inherently self-organizing, self-generating, self-integrating, self-healing self-managing because it is alive. And we're, we're coming to understand that that's true even of our organizations, that command and control is, is detrimental and toxic. There are aspects that can be managed and that should be controlled, but there's, there's much more that needs to be cultivated, that needs to be nurtured, that the fertile conditions have to be introduced. 
So I'll, I'll give you just one quick example of these patterns at work in a really enlivening, fantastic conversation. If, as this one, I, I imagine is going to be, if each of mm -hmm. us is able to bring our gifts and our perspectives, our diverse contributions, then that's already a good start. If we we agree to take turns, and I promise I'll let you have a turn in a minute. <laughs> but if generally we speak the same language and we have a good internet connection, and even better if we could be in person and, and feel each other's energy, then the, the relationship would support and connect us. And if we agree to talk about something that is really important and that holds us together like a magnet, shared purpose, is is the the key factor in human communities that enables the emergence of of that new whole and if neither of us tried to choreograph and control everything but we allowed the flow of inspiration then we would be elevated we would have a great conversation and we would feel more alive and we would likely discover things that neither of us showed up with there would be inspiration there would be um, innovation that is the, the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. So in any great conversation, we all experience those four conditions at work. And we, we want that feeling where we surprise ourselves with our own brilliance. You know, like, have you had that experience in a great conversation where you think, where did I come up with that? Man, that was good. <laughs> so yeah, that's what we want yeah. all the time. Yeah. I'm just, I'm really awestruck by the idea, Michelle, that that description that you just um, that, that you just made is ha happening in an organization, and it's also happening in its own way in a vegetable garden. Mm -hmm. um, that's yeah. really that's really the hopeful thing for me mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. we can get to a, a model that is uh, that is as you say about life. And doesn't say that somehow organizations are constructed very differently from natural systems. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. it's, I, it's interesting you mentioned a vegetable garden. I do a lot of work with farmers who are transitioning to regenerative methods of agriculture. In industrial agriculture, we're taught that it's the farmer who grows the plants with his or her, usually his in that story, chemicals and heavy equipment and we're, we're learning that that actually decreases those chemicals and heavy equipment, decrease the capacity of the garden. And so we need more chemicals and more heavy equipment and it, it's um, expensive and farms go under and it, it's a, a really broken system. So we're learning that it's actually the soil that grows the plants, the living system that is the soil and the farmer can work with these universal design principles. So I bring them to farmers to help them understand how to work with the soil. And not only that, how to work with each other because any kind of a, a transition requires, uh, especially at that level of complexity, requires uh, courage and a, a learning community. So we, I, I support groups of farmers in creating a learning community to, to um, to be in the process together. And, and we ask all the time, what would soil do in this context of our learning community? What would soil do? So the vegetable garden is a great, great example. Have you, I'm just thinking about you approaching, uh, going into a community and 
you know, someone is is saying, oh, we heard of this Michelle person and they organize some kind of a, a get to know an introductory kind of thing. And you're sitting in a room with farmers who have, you know, five million dollars invested in harvesters and land and and um, all the machinery and, and and they've got thousands of acres rather than a rather than an individual, you know, vegetable garden. What's their response to you initially? Mm hmm. It varies. It really depends on the person. Uh, so some get it immediately and some are resistant because of the level of investment. And it's, it's part of why the, that learning community is so important because there's resistance not only to someone like me, but if you're a farmer and you decide to do things differently, you're very likely to be shunned by your community. And that's, that's devastating. It's really, really difficult. So we, we need to come together and, and support each other and, and introduce a culture of, uh, of open shared learning. That's part of the shift that's needed in agriculture. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm wondering if you, if you have noticed or if you believe that there is, you know, when you're talking about life and life principles, whether it's with a farmer or in an organization, a helping organization or a manufacturing company there i'm wondering if you have sensed that phenomena that when you begin talking about these uh, about life and about larger truths that you tap into some kind of uh, almost bone language knowing that people have and you can see their receptivity increase as the closer they get to what what they already know is true but it's but it's shrouded, it's covered up? Mm -hmm. Such a good question. Yes. And, and it's a pretty recent phenomenon. Uh, I, I explained those four universal design principles in the order that our mechanistically trained brains can, can take them in. We start with the building blocks of the parts and we connect them to each other. And then there's this thing, this hole that emerges and, and oh, by the way, it's self-organizing. We'll add that on at the end as a kind of optional way of working. But I found that this, that order of exploring these patterns keeps people stuck in a very individualistic uh, mindset. It's very difficult to go from there to, uh, to that bone knowing that you're talking about. I love that phrase. So what I've started doing in the last few years is explaining in that way. And, and then we, we know where we're going, what we're talking about, but let's start in the opposite order. Let's start with really coming to terms with what it means to be alive, to be deeply tuned into a knowing of what's needed. What is the wisdom and, and healing that are needed in the world? So the, the starting point is figuring out how do you know? How do you really know something? What are your practices? And, and for some, it's meditation. For some, it's journaling. For some, it's there's a practice called focusing where you're paying attention to the signals from your body. It could be time in nature, a whole range of, of different ways. But can we acknowledge that we are alive, therefore we are part of something uh, bigger than ourselves and and that is a source of information. So let's orient ourselves in, in service of that information, of that um, greater aliveness that's trying to, to come into being. 
And then let's explore wholeness. What is the calling that we are sensing in the world? Not what is my calling, but what is the context? As you, you talked about uh, teal organizations, the organization's calling or essential purpose. So that's not me. That is this thing that I'm part of, but it's more than me. What is the context? And, uh, and, and, and again, the wisdom and healing that are called for. And then I can sort of be trusted to explore what can I bring? If we introduce that too soon, then it becomes that sort of overshadows the, the bigger thing that we're serving and the knowing gets this clouded by me, 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 I want this, you know, and, and then we can design infrastructure to connect mm-hmm. my gifts to the essential purpose that that I'm part of that's that's trying to be expressed in part through me. So yes, I do see that there there is this deep bone knowing but we have to be thoughtful about how to invite people to connect to it. Mm-hmm. And by thoughtful you mean um there's many ways in. Yeah, thoughtful deliberate and yeah, there there are many ways in um and, and for me, an important one is create the context, the kind of biggest possible context as a starting point, rather than thinking that we will, we will find our way there. I, I haven't had the experience that we, we effectively find our way there. And maybe I just am using the wrong methods, but I have found it more effective to invite people to look up and around and, and deep and eventually find their way to, um, all right, given all of that, that you have tuned into as a deep knowing now, what is yours to contribute? Mm -hmm. So in some ways that's similar then to, to an organization having a a calling or a deeper purpose that they're about Mm -hmm. and then asking employees in the organization What's the, what's the gift? What's the contribution you have to make to that greater calling? Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I think there's some urgency in many of the groups that I'm working with, who are working with equity um, and diversity um, issues, working with organizations with with individuals and groups of people who have been systematically shunned um, and pushed to the outside edges and made to feel like they don't belong. And the, the mission of those organizations oftentimes and, and why they're so interested in gifts is it is one of the underlying premises of gifts is that everyone has something to contribute. And so I think organizations Overfocus on helping the people that they are serving, the underrepresented groups they're serving, have individual voices as a way to be seen and as a way to belong. And maybe don't focus as much on the larger why of that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. It brings me back to the soil of, mm-hmm. of community. What, what's, what's going on in the soil that isn't nurturing those individual plants, you know, those, those individual people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also um, 
my my farmer friends tell me that it's not enough to have one hazelnut bush for for the the hazelnut to perform its function within an ecosystem you need some number of them and they have to be in some uh, level of relationship with each other and with the landscape so that focus only on individual gifts is is likely to fall short of what's needed we also need to be uh, connected to each other to perform our our function in the ecosystem uh, of our mm -hmm. society of our community so uh, different ways of of kind of coming at the need for a systemic approach as well as an individual approach mm -hmm. yeah what i've what I've found is if you if you consider gifts from the advantage point, if we're in a if we're in a if we're in a group of twelve people and we're accomplish something, trying to accomplish something, and one of the people doesn't show up, people don't seem to have any problem recognizing that the group has lost part of its wholeness mm -hmm. when one person doesn't show up for a meeting. That mm -hmm. there's something essential. They can't function at the same level they could if that person was there. And yeah. so it does, it does speak to that idea that, um, that every, every person is essential mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the community. That's it. And then, you know, the dark underbelly of this is that a lot of the organizations that I work with that are working with, uh, with people who have not been clearly seen and are not valued in community for whatever reason, the, those agencies are fundamentally financed through government entities who only pay you for working with individuals. They don't pay you right. for working with communities. Right. And so they're caught in this having to make notes on an individual person's level of inclusion in community and their own personal change work mm -hmm. uh, rather than thinking about the larger community that's being served by that by that person's sense of mm -hmm. belonging and welcoming and contribution so the financing is set up to work against community development it's true it's true i'm i'm still struck by your um your comment that each person is essential and we we hear this term these days essential workers and then we hear them described as low-skilled workers, you know, at other times when mm -hmm. the conversation shifts only slightly. And it's fascinating mm -hmm. that we have to really clarify people are essential, that, they, that it's, it's in doubt otherwise if we don't call them out as that. And that mm -hmm. to me speaks to the mechanistic story that mm -hmm. you're only essential if you are uh, making a lot of money or producing at a certain level, there are only certain conditions that make you qualify as truly essential. But if it's a living system story, then well, of course you're essential. <laughs> you're alive. You're here. And the yeah, purpose of yeah. community is to be more alive, to be more able to thrive right. and contribute to more thrivability in the community. Yeah, so that is interesting, Michelle. The word essential then has a different meaning in an, in an industrialized culture than it has in mm -hmm. uh, a, a health and community generated mm -hmm. culture that around here, essential worker means now 
if you don't go to your work because of the because of covid if you don't go to work our community will collapse you're essential for our economic survival mm -hmm. um, and our health survival if you're a hospital worker mm -hmm. but that immediately puts you know artists you know anyone who experiences a disability um, anybody who's recently moved from a different country that has difficult it, it immediately puts aside three quarters of the members of a community as being non-essential. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 I'm happy that those people are being put in the spotlight and, and give, mm -hmm. they're being given the recognition that they haven't had for mm -hmm. a long time. Mm -hmm. But isn't it interesting? It seems like there's a conversation there about who is essential? What do we mean by essential? What if everyone is essential? What would we do differently? Or what would, yeah, what, what is essential work according to what values and measures? Mm -hmm. So what's your, what's your interest in the word gift? What's your mm -hmm. orientation to that? Or what's the, uh, tell me a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. Well, it's such a great word. <laughs> Just so, positive it although I saw you 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 do have a question I know about what are the negative sides and and actually I do have thoughts about that but um generally I think my work is an invitation for people to reconnect with the gift it is to be alive to to recognize that so as a starting point that um kind of tuning in that I talked about as the first design principle. Um, that is to me a practice of stewardship. And stewardship is a practice of, of reverence and responsibility. I talk about it as the combination of reverence and responsibility. If something is alive, if that's what we're stewarding, and so if we're stewarding an organization or a project or a conversation and we recognize that it's alive, that means that it has more complexity and more potential than we can ever understand, certainly than we can ever control to good effect. And therefore it's worthy of our reverence. You know, this you and this conversation are something magical and miraculous. There's gift here. And so mm -hmm. um, even though it's more, mysterious and complex uh, than we can control, we still feel called to care for something that we feel reverence for. So it's a little paradoxical and that's where the responsibility comes in, responding to its needs. So that's kind of the starting point of gift for me, showing up, seeing each person and each system and even ourselves as, as a gift of, of life and aliveness worthy of our stewardship, worthy of our reverence and our responsibility. Uh, yeah. There's, so there's, I was, I was, yeah, I was, I was talking with um, years ago, I was talking with uh, Parker Palmer and mm -hmm. I was busy sharing with him these different method that we had come up with for talking with people and helping them identify different gifts that they uh, could bring. And uh, we had these conversational tools and, you know, I was pretty smitten with, uh, with what we'd come up with. And uh, he listened to me patiently for a long time. And there was this long silence. And he said, well, you've missed the most important thing of all, Bruce. I was just crushed. 
Mm. And, uh, and then he said, what you've forgotten is a person's presence in the life of another is the most essential gift. Mm. Nice. And it, um, you know, it rocked me at the foundations of my thinking at that point, I had been operating at a, at a, some of the parts kind of a model. What, 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 what are all the things you can bring to community? And I, it just hadn't occurred to me that a person just being with other people and standing by is the most essential kind of mm. presence for humans. So that exactly. seems to be, I mean, I think that's in a line with what you're talking about, that essential aliveness that each person brings. Yes. Yeah, that's a beautiful way of describing it. That's it. Be present to the aliveness of another person and of the system. I, I in, in my work, I often talk about listening for the voice of the whole. And there are conversational methods to, to tune into what we are all thinking and feeling that no one person is saying. So World Cafe, for example, where we all have conversations uh, across a big group at, but each at small tables. And then we, we mix it up, we switch tables, but one person stays and kind of updates the new arrivals about what we just talked about. But we have the same conversation again and see where, where did we kind of deepen our understanding? Anyway, so there are, there are lots of different methods for tuning into what is it that we all feel and think and know at a bone deep level listening mm. for the voice of the whole. So the, the presence to, to that level as well and to nature and, and all of life. How can we be present deeply to that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. And then what about gifts on more of an individual uh, contribution mm -hmm. level? What's your understanding of that? How do you, how do you, how would you differentiate um, if somebody said, well, you know, skills, gifts, talents, it's all the same thing, Michelle, we're just interested in what the person can do when they come to help us on Saturday morning. Right. Should we switch to the, the VP of gift management, <laughs> you know, <laughs> talent management, is it all the same thing? No, it seems somehow much more profound than skills or talents something like your, your groove in that set of universal design principles. The first one I described was the diverse parts. So that's a, the individual people, right? And, and there's another level of detail to that set of universal design principles. And for the, the parts, I talk about that as cultivating passion, each person's passion, that they, they are able to share and contribute what is needed of them and what is nourishing to them. So maybe that, that starts to circle in on, on gifts and, and the, the, the conditions that have to be cultivated. I talk about as meaning, membership, and mastery. So what is meaningful to you? What is as work and contribution that will be meaningful to you and the story that you're living out? How can this add a new interesting chapter to your story in an, in an authentic way? 
and how can it connect you meaningfully and deeply to others and to place and um, to yourself that's membership and then mastery is is your craft that's where it starts to resemble talent and skills but here we we continuously want to refine and and evolve our our mastery so I don't know how that if that's an answer to your question about individual gifts, but um, I think that combination is a powerful, maybe fertile soil for feeling that we're able to show up with our gifts and, and be nourished in the process. Yeah, it, it, it I think it, I think it's a really, um, wise balcony view of gifts um, to say that the first thing about a gift a gift is it has to be meaningful to you mm. you know it's different from something you you can do um, in that it's something you really want to do and you'll stick with so it has to it has to have personal meaning for you and you know we know from all kinds I just love this explosion of bioscience and neuroscience now and there's all this proof that we've known at a we've known is true about humans forever but now we're starting to prove it with science that uh, people uh, need each other that the growth process in humans is dependent on social connection with others each we can't actually make it alone right even if it's just the stories and dreams we care of the others um, that we need other humans. So, so I'm, I'm going to do something that's meaningful and it's the primary way that I'm going to connect with other humans. And then the obligation of something that's meaningful is you keep learning about it. You keep getting better at it. You keep understanding it. You keep finding mm -hmm. different ways to use it. So I think that trilogy of meaningful and um, and connection and mm -hmm. mastery is a really good model for developing gifts. I've never put it together with those three, mm -hmm. um, three things before quite like that. That's really helpful, Michelle. Thank you. It's membership because I like membership. Oh yeah. The three right. M's who, who am I, who am I to insert a different letter in the middle? <laughs> It's good. I, there's another that's a set of three C's and connection is one of those. So at the level of, of purpose and uh, uh -huh. uh, yeah, uh -huh. contribution, connection and um, heroic cause. Calling. Uh, same Calling. thing, same thing, different. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Right. Mirror image. You like the three legged stools, huh? There's pretty good proof that that's a good, good way to go. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, it's a three by three even. There's there's three across and then it's the shape of a tree um, mm -hmm. vertically. The roots are the passion that people bring and the fruits and the leaves and the branches are the purpose, the offering up and out into the world that brings us together. And then the trunk is the mm -hmm. space of relationship and connection. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think of as, as the practice ground mm -hmm. or, or even practical play sometimes. So 
I haven't asked you this before, or I'm fascinated by what your answer might be. What, what's the primary gift you're trying to bring to the world? What's my primary gift or, mm -hmm. or that, yeah. Yeah. Yours. Yeah. Mine. I have a, a nice little story of a time my son uh, was at most eight years old, maybe younger. And he's always been a bit of a philosopher. And so I was putting him to bed one night and out of nowhere, as if we had been talking about this already, he said, so mommy, what are you good at? And I said, well, I'm good at looking at lots of different things, reading and talking to people and just noticing things in the world. And then putting that together in one kind of a story that people can understand and say, oh, hey, yeah, now I see it too. And he said, okay, so you're like a fortune teller. He said, but not a fortune teller, you're a world teller. And I said, oh, I really like that, yeah. <laughs> so there's, I think that might be the best explanation of, of my gift. I'm a world teller. And, and it's maybe telling of the world that's here, but has gotten obscured. And, and we need to clear away the surface of it so that we can bring it to the surface and, and live out that story. How does that sound? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you, do you have memories of doing that when you were 10? I kind of do. And I, I, whenever I meet someone who's a, a systems thinker, I'm always tempted to ask them if they've done this too, when they were a kid, um, at the airport, I remember as a child thinking, why don't the adults understand that if everyone stepped back from the baggage claim, we could all see our bags. And when you see your bag, then you step forward. Like, wouldn't that make more sense? I couldn't understand why adults didn't get that and, and think in terms of the system. So mm -hmm. I, I think I've only asked a handful of people. And, and one person said, not only did she notice that as a child, but she got up on top of the conveyor belt, the baggage conveyor belt and told everybody to do it. But she was a child. <laughs> she was a, like a, maybe a young teenager. And people stopped and looked at her and then they didn't, they didn't do it. So uh -huh. that's heartbreaking. Yeah. But yeah, I think I mentioned that I've lived all around the world. And part of that was from being a, a military brat as the saying goes. And so I was always the new kid looking in from the outside, wondering why do people here do things that way? What's, what's going on with that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. There is a, um, a, a, a general thing, not always, but lots of times it happens. You know, it's a famous, it's a famous saying in therapy. You can't take somebody anywhere that you haven't been. Um, it's a famous um, different, different versions of that idea are across all different kinds of crafts and professions. So I'm wondering if you, um, have the experience uh, in your own life of not being able to do what you so much wish other people could do. Like I'll, I, so I, I, I do have a gift for imagination. I can, I can uh, come up with ideas all day. 
You know, I'm the one that always wants to come up with four more ideas before the brainstorming stops. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm constantly amazed at these simple ways that I get stuck in my own life from not spending enough time thinking about different ways to do things. Mm -hmm. You know, some fixing something around the house, I'll be working on my lawnmower and, and I'll keep, keep trying to make this one part go together a certain way. And I'll get so invested in that happening that I, I won't see if I turn it a quarter of a turn, it will naturally slide into the spot it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. so I'm wondering if you have that same thing in your own life. I'm wondering how you get stuck. Yeah. Huh. I think there are lots of ways that I get stuck. One is um, that I'm, I'm naturally pretty introverted. And so it's especially this time of year, January is a time that I, I want to keep hibernating. That was kind of nice. You know, <laughs> everybody mm -hmm. went away for a few weeks and yeah, I, I, I always get a little anxious that I may never come back out into the world, but that's what the world needs, you know, for each of us to show up with our gifts, including me. Mm -hmm. And so I have mm -hmm. to really work up the momentum. I think this work takes a lot of courage too, uh, because like my friend who stood on top of the conveyor belt, um, I've had plenty of experiences of people just looking and then going back to the way they always did things, looking at what I was saying and, and suggesting, and that can be pretty crushing, especially if it keeps happening. So I'm asking people to have quite a lot of courage to do new and different things. And I need that advice just as much myself to figure out what does it take? What is it going to take for me to have the courage I need to do the, the bold things that seem to be calling to me? Mm -hmm. Those are two things that come to mind. How do you, how do you find that courage? What do you do? You can't just say, oh, I need to have a little more courage here. Right. You must, right. you must, you must have a, uh, uh, you must have a way that you cause courage to erupt in you. Hmm. Some of it is stubbornness, which I don't think is the same. You know, it's persistence. I just do it, even though I'm still afraid. Some of it is journaling and um, spending time outside walking with my dogs in the woods. Mm -hmm. I, I do a lot of talking with my mother, actually. She's a wonderful coach and helps me talk through things and figure out how am I going to do this? And, and I think the last thing I would say is um, tuning into my body and, and, and self-care seems to be really important so that I can show up and be present for myself and for others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So enough movement, enough good health. Do you have a regular, um, a regular method, a, a way that you connect with with, um, as you said, these things that are bigger than we are? The, the walks with my dogs, the, the journaling, I sometimes call it my magic journal and it doesn't matter. It could be just a piece of paper, but <laughs> if mm -hmm. I 
show up with enough presence and I write a question, the answer will flow. And, mm-hmm. and I love that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, meditation, those kinds of things. What about you? I, I actually mm. am not making this a conversation. Do you have some good methods that you lean on? Yeah, I'm a, I am a, uh, I believe in prayer and, mm-hmm. and uh, meditation. I believe in, I use the word God. It's a word that works for me. I believe in talking to God. Um, and I also, um, as I'm saying this, I'm remembering that there was a place uh, living on my island in Alaska, I would take off in my little boat and there across the channel, there were three or four other islands and there were very narrow passageways, just, you know, 15 or 20 feet. You couldn't go between the islands when the tide was low. And I would go at high tide and I would in my boat and I would go in these narrow passageways between um, these islands. And there was a a deep feeling whenever I would get between these two or three islands, I would have this deep feeling to being connected to everything that exists. Mm. And I would, and I would, um, I would look forward to that. It was probably only 15 seconds when my boat was going between those islands Hmm. and it's difficult to explain, but I would feel connected to everything when I was. And to me, that's a, it's a kind of, that was a kind of prayer too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. I yeah. love it. Thank you. Yeah. So what would you people have in, invested an hour or so listening to us chat back and forth? What's the most urgent message hmm. that you would like people to receive from this? Hmm. I'm tempted to say, find that passage, find that place where you feel connected to everything, where just being feels like prayer. We so much need to tune in to that, that deep bone knowing. I wrote an an article about the transformation that's needed in tourism. That's another sector where I'm doing quite a lot of work. And in it, I say the, the crisis we're facing is so severe that we need every sector, every industry to put down their tools, look around and say, these are our skills. These are our gifts. These are our resources. How can we help? And really to be open to the answer. It might not be to do what you've always done. It might be something very different that's needed. So I think the most urgent thing is to find others who are open to that conversation. How can we help? And together, collectively and individually, to be in that practice of presence, of sensing that you experience in the passage so that you you can be guided to wise, compassionate action and healing. If we don't ask big enough questions. And if we don't find our way to that presence and prayer, then all of our technical solutions run such a high risk of 
perpetuating harm, of, of continuing to do harm, even with our best intentions. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah, it does. I'm just struck by how close that is to um, what your 10-year-old child told you that you were good at. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's really a beautiful way to end, Michelle. It's just a beautiful way to end. I really appreciate the time. And I have, um, I've been on uh, constant highways in my mind while you've been talking, going in and out and listening and dreaming. And you just, you're so inspiring to listen to. I just, I really appreciate your presence here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation and the wonderful questions. And boy, I wish I could go down some of those highways in your brain. <laughs> Maybe we'll do it again just for us so we can we can explore the many tangents. But it was a, a real pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening. To hear more podcasts, explore our gift library, or learn about our training opportunities, visit us at www.coregift.org.